0: Hello and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. Thanks for joining us. Lots of things going on in the world, especially here across the pond. We have a prime minister who seems to be a half step from either resigning or getting booted out. The number one tennis player in the world has been deported from Australia just before the Australian Open Tennis Tournament starts. And then there's Prince Andrew. Talk about 10 miles of bad road. A New York judge ruled Virginia Giuffre's suit against him, a civil suit that is, could go forward, and shortly thereafter, Buckingham Palace announced he'd be stripped of all his military titles, including being called His Royal Highness. Now most Americans, myself included, are clueless about what titles he's lost and why. So, for the sake of clarity, here they are. And there's more than one, believe it or not. Prince Andrew was Colonel of the Grenadier Guards, Honorary Air Commodore of RAF Lassiemouth, or Lassiemouth, Colonel-in-Chief of the Royal Irish Regiment, Colonel-in-Chief of the Small Arms School Corps, Commodore-in-Chief of the Fleet Air Arm, Royal Colonel of the Royal Highland Fusiliers, Deputy Colonel-in-Chief of the Royal Lancers, Queen Elizabeth's own. Royal Colonel of the Royal Regiment of Scotland. Whew! Yet there is some backstory needed here. Virginia Giuffre has accused the Duke of York, and yes, he still got that title, at least for now, of sexually assaulting her on three different occasions. Prince Andrew has always vehemently, denied her allegations, but some media skeptics say the fact that he tried to get the case tossed because Jufre now lives in Australia, and or a 2009 settlement made with disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein, precluded her from suing him. And it all makes him look like a not-so-artful dodger. Her claims go back to the year 2000, when she says she was groomed by Jelaine Maxwell met the prince and had sex with him three different times, all while she was 17. Her triumph in a New York courtroom now leaves Andrew with few options. And by the way, he may still be Prince Andrew, but as far as the royal family is concerned, he is acting on his own as a civilian, a public citizen. He can go forward, can Prince Andrew, with a trial something I'm sure the royal family wouldn't want to happen under almost any circumstance. He would then have to prove, for example, that at the time of one alleged sexual assignation, he was with his daughter at a pizza express. He'd also have to provide medical evidence that he hardly sweats, something he's alleged in fighting Jufre's suit. Yet despite the potential embarrassment, it's entirely possible that this could go to trial. Dufres says she's not interested in a monetary deal, and even if she was, how could Prince Andrew continue to claim innocence if he settles? It would seem he's between a rock and a hard place. He could even lose his taxpayer-funded security detail, which reportedly costs around two million pounds. Beyond that, how much reputational damage has been done to the monarchy itself? After all, the Queen will be celebrating her Platinum Jubilee in June. That may be a big reason why both Prince Charles and Prince William reportedly pushed the Queen to show Andrew the door in such short order. One might guess that being the Queen's favorite son doesn't count for as much as it used to. A couple of things do need to be said. No matter what else happens, Prince Andrew consorted with sex traffickers, Maybe not the type of people who smuggle young girls over the U.S.-Mexico border, but sex traffickers nonetheless. It may have never dawned on him that a victim would have a chance to tell her story, but here we are. This could take a while, and one thing is for sure. Prince Andrew has done the British monarchy no favors, and his family knows it. Now comes word that Andrew, who says he doesn't remember meeting Jufre, despite the The widely circulated picture showing the two together wants to interview her psychologist and her husband because she may be suffering from, quoting here, false memories. As they say in the song, Send in the Clouds, isn't it rich? Another person who has dominated news coverage over here, across the pond, is none other, other that is, than Prime Minister Boris Johnson is tennis star Novak Djokovic. It's weird. I predicted initially that he would get deported. Then it seemed I was wrong when an Australian court ruled the government made mistakes in yanking his visa. Then about a week later, the immigration minister yanked his visa again. He appealed and lost this time. So for what it's worth, turned out I was right after all. Up next, voting rights bills down for the count. What do Democrats do next? This is the intersection. You're listening to The Intersection of Politics and Culture with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Glad you're with us. Well, congressional Democrats failed yet again to pass a pair of voting rights bills that would have pushed back against voter suppression legislation in many states across the country. The obstruction in this case is Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema. She refused to back President Biden's effort to lift the filibuster to pass the bills. She gave a speech that talked about reaching out to Republicans to achieve a bipartisan agreement on voting rights. Yeah, right. The GOP has no interest in reaching bipartisan consensus on voting rights. Not as long as they figure it will cost them votes. This makes the Democrats' effort to get out the vote and work around new restrictions dependent on how much they're willing to spend. It's always scary in politics when actions are contingent on money, or people in the political sphere are forced to spend money. When politics comes down to spending money, you got a problem. And let's be real, we've got a problem. Already, Donald Trump's minions are making it harder and harder for people to exercise their franchise. The question, however, goes beyond just money. Do Democrats have the heart, the will to fight against this? What's infuriating is that if nothing changes, and it's entirely possible that nothing will, but the Congress might end up falling back in Republican hands and the number of black elected officials could shrink because of Republican gerrymandering, gerrymandering, that is, in states across the country. It's enough to make your blood boil. The forces of repression in this country have traditionally used restrictions on voting, from poll taxes to outright violence, remember Medgar Evers, to suppress the vote, specifically the black vote. They, of course, tell you now that the restrictions are aimed at preserving the, quote, integrity, unquote, of the vote. Yet, they're hard-pressed to cite examples of fraud or evidence that what they're doing is little more than trying to make sure massive voter turnout, like took place in 2020, never happens again. That would be because they lost in 2020. Democrats also have to worry about depressed black voter turnout because they couldn't get the pair of voting rights bills passed. And believe me, black folks, if they're not paying attention to anything else regarding politics, they are paying attention to making sure they do have the right to vote. Now, black people, like a lot of other people, when it comes to elections, that is, you have huge turnout for a presidential election, And then during midterms or local elections, as just happened in New York City, not so much. Although in New York, the turnout was pretty good, even though they were using a new voting system. Now, the bottom line is, it's time for the Democrats to make some tough decisions. They can start by making full use of free media to reach out to progressives and communities of color to explain exactly what has happened. I'm not at all sure enough people in these communities know. While they're at it, Democrats are going to have to stop once and for all all the warfare between the moderate and progressive wings of the party. I've said this more than once in previous episodes, but it certainly bears repeating. That means holding progressive fire against cinema while at the same time seeing to it that no elected official holds the fate of such important legislation in their hands in the future. It also means taking state legislative races seriously. Now, this is something that I've been harping about going back to my radio days. People, unfortunately, and black people are part of this, we don't take state legislative races seriously enough. In New York, It's kind of a done deal, because in New York, you have a situation where if you win a Democratic primary, you have, in most cases, won the general election. I'm talking, of course, about New York City. So people tend not to pay all that much attention, first of all, to the primary. And then in the general election, hardly anybody votes, because there's no real need, because it's done. Well, we have to get out of that mindset. We have to make sure that black people, Latino people, Asian people, everybody, progressive white people, come out and vote in every single election. And I know some people are going to say, what do you mean hold your fire against cinema? Because I do really think what she's done is beyond the pale here. But it appears to me as though the Republicans... Manage to stay together, have some show of unity on a level that Democrats simply do not. And it's not just Christian cinema. We unfortunately war with each other, and in too many cases, the good or the perfect, I guess, is the enemy of the good, or however you put that particular phrase. And see, this is the reason why Republican solidarity is precisely how Republicans have gotten as far as they have with voter suppression. It means convincing people who uphold the core values of the Democratic Party to run for elected office. Yes, that will cost money, time, and legwork. It costs the GOP the same things as well. But they got it done, and we all see what has resulted. It even gets down to poll watching where Republicans plan to flood the polls with people who believe Donald Trump's false claims about 2020. All this and more are what the Democrats face in 2022. Are they up to it? Are we up to it? We'll see. Up next, why are so many young people deciding against a college education? Is it the pandemic or maybe something more? This. Is the intersection? Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to the intersection. Nearly a half million young people, decided to do something other than college this past fall. To be exact, we're talking 465,300 young people, a decline of 3.1% year over year. That's compared to 2020. Since 2019, that dip is 6.6%, or a million college kids who aren't college kids. Needless to say, the heads of educational institutions are alarmed saying if these trends continue it could have a negative effect on the nation's future. Of course there may be a few reasons beyond the pandemic that young people are staying away from college campuses. Could it have anything to do with the crushing debt many of their peers are stuck with after graduation? There's been talk of forgiving student debt but little has come of it thus far. Maybe part of the reason for that is the enormous amounts of money involved. Think about this for a minute. In all, nearly 43 million young Americans owe a collective $1.5 trillion for the education they've received. 43 million, that's maybe just a little bit more than the entire state of California, America's most populous. One thing the pandemic has done is to show there's a way to make a decent living without necessarily going to college and running up all that debt. Now, it's possible this is little more than a blip on the radar screen, and once COVID has been resolved, whatever that may mean, young people will flock to college campuses in pre-pandemic numbers. If they don't, however, numbers of institutions of higher learning will face some troublesome financial situations. Now, If you get a sense, 43 million people owing $1.5 trillion in debt. That is mind-boggling. But every time I see these numbers, I think back to a guy, old friend, who I met not long after he had graduated college. And we got to talking one day, and he said, You know, I never took out a student loan, not a dime. I said, well, what, what, did your parents finance you? Nope. My parents are just regular working folks. I financed me. I don't even know if this is possible now. But this kid got a job, worked full time, went to school full time, and completed his education on time. And he came out of college debt free. I don't know if that's even possible anymore, because this was some years ago, maybe a decade back. But I always remember him and I always admired the fact that he did it all by himself. I mean obviously he had support of his parents, he lived at home, but still he didn't run up the debt and he didn't worry as a lot of college students who are graduating school now worry about how they're going to pay off $20,000, 30000 50000 $100,000 worth a debt and leave leave aside for a moment people who decide to do any kind of postgraduate education now you realize of course that colleges and universities with large endowments and publicly funded colleges could get through it with a minimum of disruption if it stays the same as it is now which is declining enrollment year over year but if this is a cultural shift, rather than a short-term problem, what are the implications for the nation as a whole? Will young people enter the workforce with fewer skills? And what of critical thinking? Some might argue that colleges are not doing a great job of that as things stand now. They may, And that, that's another thing. Critical thinking is in my judgment. I'm not talking about critical race theory. That's a whole other discussion. But critical thinking, the ability to take a set of facts and reach a conclusion based on your own knowledge and your own decision to dig deep and do a deep dive on a set of facts, that kind of critical thinking, which by the way, I was taught in high school, not in college, but it seems to be in relatively short supply and it would pay me greatly if the numbers of kids, a half million kids a year, aren't going to college and aren't even being taught what critical thinking is, much less how to think critically. Now, colleges and universities may have to do a better job selling themselves if this trend continues. And God forbid, they might even have to lower or level off their tuition so that people see college as affordable, Of course, I'm just wishful thinking here. There's really kind of a fat chance of that happening. One more thing before we leave you. It may not make the front page, but it's news nonetheless. TV, the satellite and streaming network with about 15 million subscribers, has decided to drop One America News Network. OAN is the right-wing news channel that has given voice to a myriad of conspiracy theories about the 2020 election. In fact, they're being sued by Smartmatic and Dominion voting systems for amplifying baseless claims about their role in the election. Once DirecTV gives OAN the boot, which I think is gonna be coming in April, only Verizon files will be left among the major distributors that carry the network, which could cripple them financially. Well, my first instinct is to say good riddance, even though I've never watched the network, not even once. At the end of the day, it's up to DirecTV, who they carry. Will OAN survive being dropped, like third period French, by DirecTV? Let me be charitable. Let me not say, who cares? Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Intersection. The executive producer of the broadcast is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Eric Lund. Until we meet again, please stay well.